Hey everyone, this is Mike. Hey, this week Mark is finishing up his well-earned vacation, so we're going to bring you one of our Hall of Fame casts this week, our cast from 2006 on employee retention. In this cast, we answer questions we get all the time. How do I keep my people on my team? How do I prevent turnover? And my favorite, do I have to pay more to get my people to stay? Enjoy. Welcome to Manager Tools Podcast for Monday, April 24th, 2006. Hi, this is Michael Lozan, and for returning listeners, welcome back. For new listeners, welcome to Manager Tools, where each week my partner Mark Horseman and I talk about specific things you can do to improve your managerial effectiveness. Today's cast is the first in a series of recurring casts about employee retention. The best managers we know do a great job of retention. As a matter of fact, retention is one of Mark's favorite delineators of management talent because it goes to the future potential of the organization. Strategy gets done much more effectively in places where retention is good. In this cast, we're going to talk about the bare bones basics. This is stuff that any manager can do. Really, that any manager wanting to think of themselves as a professional must do. If you're not taking these simple steps, you need to start. So you can build a base to some of the more powerful techniques we'll share in the future cast. So with that, let's get right to it. I've noticed a lot of, uh, it, it seems like people are talking more and more about retention these days on the web. I've been looking at a few blogs, et cetera. It's, it's a pretty re, reoccurring topic these days. I think, um, I, I think as managers, um, a, a lot of managers, Mike, um, are starting to get smart that a lot of other problems are caused by the lack of retention, or put differently, of course, retention solves a lot of your other problems. Um, you know, if you have the right people on your team and you can keep them, um, all kinds of things are made a great deal easier. If you're thin and there are new opportunities, they're just you know that you can't uh, you can't go after. Um, yes, and and I think there's a lot of social issues as well that address that also. So, um, and, and most managers, uh, while the people on the the web are probably pretty insightful. Um, and are thinking carefully about it, there are a lot of misconceptions out there about retention. Um, and I thought maybe before we got into the, the our, our manager tools signature, okay, what do I do about this? <laughs> uh, we talk about some of the underlying truths, some of the things that I found over the years have been incredibly important uh, in terms of thinking clearly and effectively about retention. Yeah, no, that's great. So yeah, what are, what are some of those that you run into? Well, the first one is, and, and, and when you think about it, it goes to some of our discussion in the past about uh, The World is Flat, Tom Friedman's fabulous book. Folks, if you haven't read Tom Friedman's book, uh, you're behind the times. Um, but really, the first one I would say is now's the time. Um, the market for talent is only going to get tighter in the next 30 years. Now, some people say, well, gosh, 30 years, that's a long time. When, when I advise people about careers, I generally tend to ask them, what do you think is going to happen in the world in the next 30 years? I'll never forget a good friend of ours um, choosing to go into the semiconductor equipment manufacturing business because he said, I, I'm not so sure whether or not that company is perfect for me or not, but I know that industry is going to do well for the next 30 years. It may not do well 100 years from now. We may have new technology, but for the next 30 years, I'm pretty sure that industry is going to be 
growing, and growth means more opportunities. And of course, he was right. Um, yeah, I think he's absolutely right. It's it's fairly easy to detect long term trends, and you ride that wave. You're okay. It's the yeah short term cyclic. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, five years is is not a good way to plan your plan your career. But but look, not only that, not only is the market going to get tighter, baby boomers are going to retire. Okay, that means they won't be in the workforce. Okay, um, uh, so there are going to be less people uh, available. Um, and they're also going to increase their suspending their spending of disposable income. Um, that means there's going to be more demand, at least for a period of time. China is going to come online even more than it already has. India and China both are going to demand more products and more services. And yes, they're a huge labor market, um, so they're going to have a differential impact on on the tightness of the market. But overall, their demand is going to be overwhelming. And, and I think that you know, despite what the patent guy said in the year 1900, all innovations, all inventions have already been made. I think technology proves to us that it's going to continue to provide acceleration to new product innovation. And that means there are going to be new industries created we don't even know about now. Um, All those things together mean it's going to be harder and harder to keep people um, and you're going to have to be better and better at sourcing people externally and then keeping the ones you spend so much money to bring into your organization. Uh, it's going to get harder to keep people, and you better start thinking about it now. You don't even have to be good about it now. If you're a lot better at it six months or a year from now, you're going to be way ahead of thousands of other managers all across the world. Right. So now's the time to reduce turnover. Exactly. Yeah. Um, except that... <laughs> We want to be careful about because that brings up my next point, which is, and you, you oh, you, you think, yeah, that that was a beautiful segue, Mike. Thank you. Um, uh, you you'd think we actually planned these podcasts as opposed to us just chatting about things, um, <laughs> j- just because we have thousands of listeners and they expect us to do that. Um, you know, I, one of my, I, I put now's the time first, but this is really one of the most important insights I have to share about retention. Turnover is not the opposite of retention. Okay, The time that most managers think about retention, Mike, is when they hear that, oh, turnover was at 26% for the last quarter. And then someone in HR or a general manager or a senior executive asks, well, what are you doing about turnover? And then because we tend to focus on problems rather than on opportunities, despite what Peter Drucker tells us, uh, inevitably what many, many managers do is that they think they should reduce turnover. Now, now look, I, I'm not going to argue with people. Uh, you, please feel free to write into the show um, or, or post on the, on, the, on the discussion forums that, well, technically turnover is the opposite of retention. And I would say, no, numerically, um, you know, those people whom you retain plus those people you lost in terms of the way most HR organizations do the math, yes, technically, numerically, um, the numbers add up to 100%. But that doesn't mean they're opposite. It just means they're related. The problem is that managers who hear that turnover is high then start thinking they should reduce turnover. And then what they do, and this is really where, where their thinking starts to break down, they start looking at who they lost. And then they ask, what could I have done to keep that person? But but if nothing else, that's not the answer. The answer is, <laughs> how do I keep the people I already have? Let's not close the barn door out. The, house, the, the cow is already out. Um, and, and what's more, the things that keep people 
are not the opposite of the things that the absence of things that cause them to go away. Believe it or not, there are all kinds of studies about this. I'll tell you the biggest underlying scary part of this, Mike, is that when we look at people who have left, we don't. We only look at things they told us or what what they consider to be detractors to their satisfaction, or or in many cases, it's because they say. You know they're gonna they got more pay and let me assure you one of the one of the sad things I've learned in my corporate career of many years is that inevitably if you are told someone else's salary when they're leaving it is by definition higher than what they're actually getting I don't want to call anybody liars but I have found that when it comes to compensation people just aren't clear in their communication about it and so a lot of times either exit interviews which usually are done terribly by the way um, or, or just you know, anecdotal evidence is that people have left um, for more pay. People don't leave for more pay. They leave because they hope $5,000 will assuage the fact that they're pretty certain now that they'll never have a good manager because the manager they used to have, you, didn't take good care of them. And so they're going to start looking for money because they can't get the psychic income that they would have liked to because management apparently just isn't that good at what they do. They don't realize how hard it is and all those kind of things, but, but essentially... This all goes to the issue of if we start looking at why people left, we start pushing on the wrong levers. And if we don't consider the performance of people who have left, then we don't learn to start considering the performance levels of people we're keeping because that's a key factor in terms of how we're going to decide how to spend our time on retaining people. Um, So... Performance uh, is way more important than longevity. I mean, how many people have said, "Gosh, you can't you can't get ahead here by doing good." It just depends on who's been here longest. So, therefore, yeah. when we start looking at why people left, and we come up with systems to address those things, the reason why they left, and that doesn't ever consider performance, we essentially enable later people saying, "Well, we only get promoted," or you know, what they essentially consider here is longevity, which is a very bad way to run a run a railroad. Yeah. I get pretty okay. I get pretty excited about that. I just yeah. I, you know people say, "Oh, we got to stop turnover." No, no, we don't. We need to retain the right people. Take that a step further, Mike, which is which is sort of point 3 in our warm-up here. Uh, succession planning, which is so important. And I'll tell you, companies that do succession planning well over and over again, I see them outperforming um, other people because uh, other companies because they have a succession planning is a natural outflow of companies who see talent management as a core important skill, getting the right people on board. And if you've read any of the four plus two theory out there that was started a number of years ago in Harvard Business Review, it says, you know, you got to get the right people and you got to hold on to them. Um, And if you're growing, having the right people and holding on to them means that you're going to be doing a lot of succession planning, which is essentially who's ready now, who's ready next, and what's the job that's open and who's got the right skills and so on. Um, Did you ever see uh, companies who are great at succession planning that don't do performance management well? No. Oh, gosh, great no. point. You know, what happens is if, if you and I were running a company, Mike, and we said, you know, we're going to be growing a lot, so we need to be thinking about who's ready and so on, inevitably what you get to, the next thing that happens is, well, okay, h- how good are they? And then we say, well, okay, how do we know how good they are? We've got good performance management. This ties into, I think as people see our recommendations here coming up in a, in a few minutes, they'll see how one-on-ones and coaching and feedback um, and, and performance uh, uh, performance reviews and so on are all connected 
so closely. Um, if you're going to consider, if, if Mark works for Mike and is going to, um, uh, Mike is going to consider Mark for an opportunity, Mike's going to know darn sure, darn well, what Mark's good at. And that the reason he has good data is because he has spent his time, not a whole lot, but he has spent his time well on analyzing my performance, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And there are too many cases of people who are put in the right opportunity, put in an opportunity that's really big because they're a top performer. And we, we weren't clear about what their strengths and weaknesses were. And this was a particular opportunity where their weaknesses were directly matched to what the opportunities really required in terms of strengths. And people wonder why that really top performer didn't do well. Well, it's because they were a top performer because of skill A and not skill B, and this job required skill B. And that happens all the time. Um, we, we, we saw something um, interesting enough uh, recently on the, the forums relative to pay as an incentive for performance management, you know, performance management and pay uh, with some implication around retention as well. What about, what about the idea of, of pay and using that in your retention yeah, that was a really good discussion. I, I got a little excited about that. You know, I got I got to do something about this getting excited stuff. Sometimes I think people are probably reading my stuff or hearing me and going, "Whoo, gosh!" And uh, is it possible anybody else is right about this? Yeah, there are a lot of different points of view on this, and I just feel strongly about my particular point of view. It doesn't make doesn't make it the only one, um, but I've learned it the hard way often. Uh, I'll just tell you one of my one of my general rules is tell people to forget about pay. Um, there is way too much emphasis on pay as a tool for retention. Now, secretly, Mike, I think part of that is because managers want to blame the lack of pay on the lack of retention. In other words, it's out of my hands. And this goes back to the succession planning piece. If a company doesn't do succession planning, Mike, it doesn't mean that a manager can't do it. In fact, we're going to suggest that in a future cast, that it's we're going to give some tools that make it real easier for people to do succession planning sort of in a microcosm uh, microcosm way. Um, but yes, there's way too much emphasis on pay. And in the posts and the discussion forums, what we talked about was the fact that just because your performance management system doesn't have any pay increases associated with it doesn't mean you shouldn't do a great job um, giving managing people's performance and, and giving them feedback and, and evaluating them on how they did. Uh, and if there's not a reward, because pay is simply a reward, an increase in pay, obviously, is a reward for performance. Um, it, now, look, I'm not going to argue that there are companies that pay way too little and, and, and struggle in terms of retention because they're paying way below the median or the mean or whatever. But I, generally, I don't think that's the problem. Um, and, and we're going to talk more about the reasons why people stay or go in future casts because we're going to do a series, a whole series over the next couple of years about retaining people. We're going to try to we're going to try to parcel it out in bits so people can get comfortable with the smaller actions that they take and behaviors before we suggest some bigger systems and processes and so on. Um, but for 90% of managers I know, Mike, pay is not anywhere near the most powerful weapon that they have in, at their disposal. Um, and and you, I think I've said this before. I know I've said it to you. You and I have talked about this a bunch, and this is partly comes from my recruiting background. If, if someone comes to you wanting a lot more money, my first, my first recommendation is let them go. Um, because if you give them a small bump, even maybe not as much as what they wanted, and they stay, that stay is only temporary. So I just, yeah. I, I just say, when you start thinking about retention, folks, take pay out of the picture. Start thinking about yourself. You know, this goes back to that old adage that if you start looking for problems in your organization, look for them in increasingly larger concentric circles around your own desk. <laughs> 
and, and pay is not you. The biggest mistake I ever made relative to my career was leaving a job for more pay. It was a significant raise, and um, frankly, I went there five months and left and went back to where I was before. Yeah, and you know, you know it's hey. funny because you and I could both make a case that, I mean, look at manager tools. Look at what we've done. Look at the number of people who are listening to us. And, you know, we're, we're not making as much as if we spent our time elsewhere. We believe it's a great investment, and we're having, I don't know about you, I, I think I do, we're having more fun than we've ever had. And we're actually taking less pay. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, what, what about um, um, what about the idea about retaining everybody? If you had 100% retention, is that necessarily no, a good see, thing? that's the whole problem. I didn't really say it very clearly, and I'm sorry I got excited, but the turnover is not the opposite of retention. Um, the point of, well, if you take the people you retained and you add the people you lost, that adds up to 100%. And so somehow the idea is that 100% is what you should be shooting for. But Mike, some retention is bad. <laughs> now, yeah. now if I if, if I asked a, a group of uh, thirty managers in a room, Mike, um, if we had a conference or something, and, and I asked the group of managers, um, "Hey, some retention is bad." W- 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 do you think they'd get my point? Do you think they'd? Do you think they figure not, out where I'm going? Not, not initially. Yeah. Yeah, my, my point is, is that you have some bad performers who work for you. We don't want to retain those people. We love them. We care about them. We want them to be successful. And we would like them. And we want them to go somewhere we else. We want them to be <laughs> successful somewhere else. Um, in fact, um, there, there are a group of people um, in, in organizations, and there are a number of dimensions to evaluate people, and this is uh, something for a much future cast, but there is a group of people um, that I love and care about and actually hope that they're very successful, and I actually call them lottery winners. And when people say, well, why would you call them lottery winners? <laughs> well, because I hope they win the lottery and resign from our company. <laughs> <laughs> now, luckily, if you're a manager, you can you can address those lottery winners uh, directly. But look, um, if if somebody's not performing, if they're whining and complaining, if they're bringing down the performance of the rest of the unit, give them feedback. Give them lots of feedback. Tell them you love them, care about them, want to help them, coach them, set standards for them, and if they can't meet the standards, fire them. And and watch retention go up when in fact you just increase turnover. Yeah. So that's why oh, that's seen, why I make the yeah. point turnover and retention are not opposites. Yeah, I've seen many organizations where retaining somebody who's not performing and bringing the team down just sends, you yeah. know, everybody else running for the hills. You know, not only does it ruin if you and I are coworkers, Mike, and, and you've got a bad attitude and you're messing up my day-to-day and I'm just kind of dragged down by that. In addition, there's a systemic effect of not only am I dragged down, I lose respect for our boss. Absolutely. And and, and even if now, if for some reason that person leaves and I perceive that our boss, Joe, didn't encourage the leaving, I don't, I don't necessarily regain respect for Joe. Joe's got a, an ongoing lingering issue that I feel that Joe's not willing to confront poor performance. And for most people, Mike, I think it's generally true. I'm not going to make a, a categorical statement. I think it's generally true that a, we believe a manager who won't confront poor performance will not fully reward top performance and, and i think if that's the case i'm less likely to give top performance that's true well I mean, isn't it always the the manager that it's the root of retention issues yeah yeah in fact i i i you know it's the manager stupid i, I actually think that there's a book or a, an article about that i'm pretty sure it's an article um yeah it, it that's why i made the point earlier we made the point earlier about pay 
Um, let's lessen our interest in pay. Um, let's improve our interest in performance. And let's really focus on those concentric circles around you. If you want to pe keep people, um, if you want to boil it all down, I, I don't mean to be overly simplified on things, but for people who aren't doing anything on retention, might as well simplify it and give them some place to start. If you want to keep your people, get to know them, find out what they want from their work. By the way, that's not from their job, but from their work, and then help them get that out of their work. Treat them with respect, leave your door open, do one-on-ones, support them, give them some extra personal time when you can, um, know their kids' names, and ask about their kids by name, and they'll stay forever, pay not increasing any faster than the cost of living. Yeah. Okay, so what, you know, we have a lot to cover on retention over the next couple of years like for example we're not going to those of you who liked uh, the disc model and really got oh. turned on by that um wait till you see disc and retention <laughs> mike are you suggesting that i might behave differently with joe because he's a high d rather than terry because she's a high i based on my retention activities um yeah if you want to retain him you, you oh <laughs> you might do that <laughs> gee that makes sense doesn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's, it's pretty powerful stuff but we're not I guess that's a little bit of a tease, but we're not going to get into that today. Right. Today, we're going to talk about some kind of basic manager retention behaviors. Yeah, and and because retention doesn't get the attention, that's a tough one, retention doesn't get the attention that most managers give it, we've tried to come, well, no, we've tried. Of all the things that I recommend to, to corporate clients when we're looking at retention and succession planning, and, and generally we're in the talent management space uh, in terms of thinking about the, the, the pipeline of talent, which is something that's a, that's a buzzword or a, a phrase that's pretty popular right now uh, and, and will continue to stay popular, quite frankly, because it has powerful implications. Uh, implications. Um, uh, when we generally think about um, all these things. We're, I could come up with 25 things that managers can do, but we've boiled it down right now in terms of, you know, if a manager's not doing a lot, that we have two things they can do right away that will make a big difference in terms of them gathering data and becoming better at um, um, keeping the people they want. Because that's the whole point of this is retaining um, good people. Hey, this is great. Two steps, not like... Not seven. Ten. You know, it's, it's amazing how it's a lot less complicated to retain people than it is to uh, shake <laughs> no, somebody's hand. I knew hand. you were going to say that. Uh, yeah, there are 10 yeah. steps for handshakes, right? But only two for retaining. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Let's, well, let's go. What are, what are right, Step one. Every month. Step one is ask monthly. And this is easy. Once a month at your weekly one-on-ones. Gee, notice how this stuff fits together. Mm. Ask your direct how they're doing. This is a simple attempt, very basic, at, at, at getting a small data point that you can aggregate over time to, to figure out trends. You're gauging their emotional, mental, professional assessment of stability in their role and within largely your organization. That's it. And, there, and, there's, and there's a secret to, answer, to asking that question. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a precise way to ask it, and there are good reasons for it. And I want to take everybody through. There are a series of sort of sub-steps here. Maybe, maybe that's how we get to 10. I don't know. Um, so the question, the way I recommend my clients ask it is, hey, overall, how's it going? Okay. Now, let, let's, let's, let's break that down and give some specific guidance. Okay. First, I strongly encourage everyone to include that word overall. Okay. You're asking them to take a step back, to helicopter up a little bit, to take a longer, larger view, try to see the forest for the trees. Okay. 
Um, it, I suspect there are going to be some people who say, well, gee, I, I always ask people how they're doing. But as you'll see from the rest of the guidance, if you ask it this way once a month, right, and and it would be real easy to every four uh, sheets of uh, paper in your one-on-one forms, just put a black mark in the corner to remind you, hey, it's been a month, it's time to, time to ask. Um, so it's okay to ask how's it going every single week, but it's a little bit different when you pause and you say, hey, um, overall, how's it going? So first, include that word overall. Second, and this is a weakness that I have when I do this, Mike, don't elaborate. D- don't give them ideas. Don't give them suggestions. You know, don't say you're looking at retention. Don't say you're thinking about turnover. Don't think. Don't say you're thinking about performance. Because because if you do that, you'll come up with a different elaboration every week. You get different data or every month, and you'll get different data every month, and it will be a little bit harder to gauge the trends. And we'll talk about the trends in just a minute. So don't elaborate. Just let the question hang out there. Let them interpret. Let their mental state be the guidance that causes them to to answer the way they do. After you ask this question, be quiet. Oh, that's tough. I've alluded to this already. Third, ask it the same exact way every single time. Uh, I'm sure there there are data people, you know, statisticians who would say this is really lame. But, but, you know, if you ask it the same way every time, it'll increase the accuracy of the data you get just slightly. You'll feel certainly better about the data. Um, and, and I had a manager once tell me, well, gosh, they're going to catch on. And I said, yeah, that's a good thing. Some definitely will catch on. Some won't, and that's okay. Um, but the ones that do catch on will get it and they will actually give you better answers. They know you're assessing them and they'll send you messages about how they're doing. What's bad about that? Oh, I suppose Mm -hmm. there's a small percentage who will try to game the system, but the vast majority of people just aren't that clever and aren't going to do that. And particularly if you ask in a one-on-one, and you've set up a standard where you invest in them on a regular basis, their guard will go down and you'll be able to, to um, over the period of, of a series of months, you're definitely going to get some data that will give you some subtle trends. It won't give you a genius answer, but it'll start you in the right direction. Um, fourth, write down exactly what they say. I find that if I really hear something interesting that I want to give somebody feedback on something, I put their comments in quotes in my notes because that way I can state it back. If I, if I'm coaching somebody, Mike, I am sure you've had this experience. You and I actually have this when we, when we, when we, we have discussions about things, you say, well, you said this. And the other person says, well, no, I didn't. And then the, the person who said, who made the comment to begin with realizes, yeah, I didn't exactly transcribe what they said. And, And people feel strongly that their words are intended not just in general, but to have subtle implications. So put it in put it in quotes if you can. Um, write down exactly what they say. Um, fifth, don't analyze what they say at any given time, unless they say, "Well, I, I decided to take a job somewhere else." Um, that requires analysis and action. Sorry. Um, don't even analyze the first couple of months. Just let it be. Write the notes down and let it be. You know, but after three or four or five months, you're, you're going to start seeing some subtle trends. And, and of course, again, every, you know, in two years, you're going to start getting a lot of trends. And you'll probably be able to make some correlations about stuff. Um, and what's more, you'll not only see subtle trends about an individual, you'll also start seeing trends in terms of ups and downs of morale and so on with the whole team. But in general, 
Don't worry about what they say. Don't go off the deep end. Let the soup simmer a little bit before you try to eat it. Okay, just relax. This is something that, that is systemic. Managers are not, we're trying to coach everyone that, that a systemic approach to management is way better than the episodic uh, putting out fires all the time. This is not designed to find the fires. It's designed to keep things from becoming a fire because you begin to see things before they get, before it turns into a conflagration. There's the word of the week, conflagration. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to spell it for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and then last, um, this is, I guess, point six about that first question. Don't ask everybody every darn week. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like I said earlier, you can ask how they're doing. That's fine. That's a standard one-on-one question. But don't ask with this question. Definitely don't use that word overall or whatever word you guys, whoever's on you. Whatever word you choose, if you don't like overall, uh, if you want to be clever or creative, fine. Just don't ask every week. Um, that I found that that those data points, I've, I've some managers do it that, that have worked with me, and I find that's uh, you, you get a little too up and down. Sometimes it depends on what hour of the day your one-on-one is. Um, you want to be careful about that. So that's it. Every month you ask, hey, overall, how's it going? They'll notice. They'll okay. notice there's a little different tone. They'll notice that you're asking them to step up a little bit. You're asking them to go a little bit higher, and and they'll give you. They'll they'll try to give you some sense of things. Four or five answers in a row over the course of four or five months, you're going to start getting a sense of whether things are generally trending up or trending down. Okay, that was step right. one. It, it was actually six steps. I'm counting. Well, it's not step. They weren't really steps. Um, I guess it's not really step one. It's more like behavior one. And then behavior one six. Right. Okay. And then six steps. Right. All right. You're, you're on your way to ten. Hopefully, there's at least four under your. <laughs> no, I don't think that. I hope there's here. not. Um, <laughs> I hate that. By the way, I hate uh, I hate uh, recommendations that have acronyms in them, or or you know this is the uh, the ten step process. Like, gee, couldn't it have been nine or could it have been eleven? Um, for a long That's time with Horseman's Laws, I you know I kept eight. I still have eight. I have a couple more to add, but you know, I tried to avoid having ten, as if people would think that I would sit around and come up with a list of ten, um, like Letterman's top ten. Um, just because it's ten doesn't mean it's important. I wanted them to be important. Okay. Anyway, behavior two: measure quarterly. We're going to ask monthly, but we're going to measure and report actually quarterly. Okay. And here, this is so simple. You can make it more complex, and actually, as we learn more in the next couple of years about retention, um, we're going to suggest some things that will be easy to, be, to, to capture the greater complexity of it. But for now, schedule a half an hour on your calendar now. Do it, do it for the end of the quarter whenever, you're, uh, whenever you will have performed your performance uh, reviews for people. Um, schedule a half hour to sit down at your desk and write up a retention report on your team maybe maybe you'll need an hour as opposed to a half hour depending upon the size of your team if anybody wants to tell me they're too busy to do this that's fine you've probably got other management issues please don't tell people you're listening to manager tools um, <laughs> two months from now if you can't find an hour on your calendar um, you've got other serious management issues in fact I think I'm getting ready to post a blog some blogging on on uh, the, the busyness um, epidemic we have at least in people that I talk to on a regular basis. Okay. Yeah, too busy to manage effectively. I, I love that. Yeah, one. good. Um, so each quarter, 
half an hour or an hour to write up a retention report in your team. Now, you can do this in a lot of different ways, but we have a, a suggestion about a basic level. It's nothing. This is nothing more than a Word document with a, with a space for each team member. You can handwrite it if you want, okay? Um, if you show this to an HR person when they send a note saying about retention or turnover or whatever, they will be blown away, even if it is handwritten. As long, Particularly if you have three quarters worth, they're going to be absolutely blown away. And here's what we recommend. We recommend you give each member on your team a little bit of space, and they each get a rating. Make it simple on yourself. High, medium, and low on two characteristics. Risk of loss. So in other words, if you're worried about them, they would be high. Okay, and performance. Now, obviously, these analyses or these these um, ratings come from your work with them over the last quarter and and longer, of course, um, and your analysis of the various factors that go into their likelihood of sticking around. And then underneath that that rating, you could just put P colon high, which is performance high, R for risk of loss, low or whatever, however you want to do it. You can make it pretty or not. Don't really care. The key, the value is in the intelligence and the analysis leading up to the data. It's not in the document. Um, PowerPoint be damned. Um, write a couple of notes of recent behaviors, comments, whatever that support your assessment. This is a great place to, to copy down one-on-one -on -one notes for their, the question you asked about, hey, overall, how's it going? And also coaching you've been doing and performance improvements that they've had and projects that they brought in or not brought in, those kind of things. Some managers that I've recommended this to go further and rank order their folks. Um, I don't do that. I think there are too many dimensions and too many variables just yet in order to come up with a ranking. If you want to, you can. Um, the problem is when you come up with a ranking, that's what your boss and HR starts looking at rather than the data that goes into it. And it's the data on any individual that causes you to engage certain behaviors on your part to keep them or to help them get promoted or whatever. And if you really want to, if you're good after a couple of quarters of doing this, if you want to take it to the next step, jot down a couple of notes of what themes you may want to touch on with them next quarter based on your thinking about their performance and your their risk of loss. That's it. Okay. I'll tell you what, you could be a great manager asking that question quarterly. Um, hey, overall, how's it going? And then handwriting on a pad of paper that you keep, closed up in your desk every month or every quarter what um what they said and what what your analysis is um and after six to nine months regardless of how many times you have to go run around doing a retention analysis for somebody senior you you can have your own data that says okay i know what i need to be working on so that i'm not dealing with big heavy fires whenever hr wants something or when one of my best people leave i'm essentially tamping those things out a little bit at a time that's yeah. it. Just two simple things that will directly increase their likelihood of holding on, managers' likelihood of holding on to the kind of people we want to hold on to. That's it. Two simple steps. I'm hoping that managers feel like it's absolutely doable, that it's behavior you can add to the mix. We're not asking for a great deal more work. Half an hour every quarter. If that's too much, again, you've got other issues. Um, and, and also, we're hoping. I'm hoping that we get to the issue of helping managers feel more proactive 
and feeling like they've got a handle on things. They may not know where everything's coming from. You're still going to get surprised. There's no question about that. Some people are going to be uh, play it close to the vest and only tell you at the last minute when they're leaving and not even give you two weeks' notice. But but um, this is going to make managers feel like they're doing better, uh, gathering more data, and it's and it's going to make them much better at analyzing the data and and seeing trends. Just sort of, they're going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, you know, something's bugging me, and it's because they're starting to. Uh, analyze and aggregate the data in their subconscious and it's better to do it then than to hear about some hear about a, a big problem when somebody comes in in the middle of a big project and say i gotta quit absolutely yeah. at least uh your, your chance of being surprised are much yeah. less now much th- less. Th- this is a behavioral this is the basic stuff and, and next time we talk about this it's not going to be next week but we'll talk about what to do semi-annually and annually in terms of connecting all of this again you can see how one-on-ones and and succession planning and retention um, and and feedback and coaching and annual reviews and quarterly reviews all tie together um, um, but we're going to start talking about stuff like, hey, one of the most important ways to develop, to to retain people is to develop them, to worry about their 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 work, not their job, their work. Um, and we're going to be looking at considering openings for them elsewhere in the organization based on their proximity to you, on on fit with the opportunity, on their desire. Um, and again, if that sounds like development, well, it is um, because development is a huge creator of retention. And it's something that managers have a lot of a lot more power over than they realize. And it'll take a number of casts, but I think it'll be worth it. Yeah, and I hope people um, kind of follow through with the suggestions you laid out because when we get to these next yes. steps, having this information at your fingertips will be very, very powerful. Yeah, and in this way, they can do this. They can get it. Com- they can get comfortable with it. It's part of their sort of management behavioral DNA. And then when we add another piece on top of it, it will just layer naturally, um, and they won't feel like they're having to do all kinds of things new and different. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Thanks, partner. As always, thank you, Bye. my friend. See you later. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any uh, questions or comments, you can, as always, direct them to show at manager-tools.com or feel free to come join us on the website and participate in the discussion forums at www.manager-tools.com slash forums. Mark and I are having an absolute blast on the forums, so we hope you can all come join us there. So until next week, have a great one. So long. So long.